0: You stay with our series, our young series from the book of Acts. So I want you to open your, your scriptures to Acts chapter 4, where we will be spending our time here together. But before we do that, uh, let's, let me just offer up another prayer for us as we receive the word of God. Father God, your people are here. We're all here. We are hungry and thirsty for word coming from you, O God. Fill us with your spirit. And fill this place with your spirit as you did when the church got started. In Jesus' name, amen. You said last week that uh, the first three chapters of Acts forms a triad, of which chapter 1 focuses on mission countdown. I think that's the, probably the easiest way of, uh, of kind of encapsulating what's, what goes on there in Acts chapter 1. And in that mission countdown, we're reminded that, uh, t- that the focus as we enter these last days, last days that was ushered in by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the arrival of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, um, that the mission is not to be watching for what goes on necessarily or, or, or uh, focusing on the, the end time uh, uh, as much as focusing on the mission for the end time. So Acts chapter one focuses on mission countdown, and Acts chapter two focuses on the launching of the mission, or what I call as mission launch, as the, the Holy Spirit arrives in, in power and um, launches uh, the, the, the mission and the last mission endeavor, and commissions the church to have that mission, um, to take that mission seriously. So Acts chapter two talks about that, focuses on mission launch. And Acts chapter 3 focuses on the very first mission campaign, the very first successful at that mission campaign, and, and Acts chapter 4 actually is a continuation of that, as we now focus on the, 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 the result, or, or you know, one way of, of, of calling it would be a fallout uh, from this first mission campaign. Because now we find in Acts chapter four um, that certain things uh, happen because of the of the of this mission, this this bold uh, action of of Peter and John right there at the steps leading up to the temple, when out of nowhere, you know, with no with no. Um, at least we're not—we're not told. Uh, we're not told from Scripture what they were thinking prior to uh, them just all of a sudden calling this person who's been lame from birth to stand up in the name of Jesus Christ. And he stands up and leaps and and, and you know he he jumps around and 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 the, and he's seen walking about. He goes. The first thing he does, he he goes into the temple, uh, into the temple area where he's been forbidden all his life. Because somebody that is blemished from birth—that's actually the word that was used in the—that's uh, uh, used in the in, in Scripture, in Acts chapter three, blemished from birth finally becomes unblemished, restored in the name of Jesus Christ. And you know the, the symbolism there is not lost to us. Neither was it lost in the in the in the eyes and the, in the minds of the New Testament Christians, because what what's being communicated here is with the um, with the um, the uh, the miracle of of having this person lame from from birth all of a sudden be able to walk. The, the you know is, is this that there is a new temple. And it is not that temple over there. It is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ assumes everything that happens in the temple. He is now the new temple around which, around whom, we worship as his disciples, both then and now, and clear to the end of time. So now we have in chapter 4, in Acts chapter 4, the beginning of a new triad, centering around, more or less around the same, uh, th- these two things, centering around uh, opposition to the mission and boldness for the mission. Those things are now going to come hand in hand. As we find out that there's a fallout now that's, uh, that's, that, that's, you know, that, that's uh, coming as a result of this first mission campaign, which was not an evangelistic crusade, it was a healing it was a miraculous healing three things that we find here as we as we begin uh, to uh, prepare ourselves for the reading partly of uh, through part of through parts of chapter 4 three things start to happen here you will see first thing as I, I said uh, just just now is that there's opposition to the mission there's going to always be opposition to the mission it's never going to be a bed of roses And sure enough, opposition um, arises pretty quickly, right then and there, as a result of this miraculous healing. And then, um, as that opposition arises, um, another thing also happens, and that is that there's mission success. We find out here, as you will soon see, that um, in, chapter, in verse 4, chapter 4, that um, Luke, who writes um, the book of Acts, uh, summarizes what happens as a result of this miraculous healing, the very first mission campaign the church has ever engaged in after Pentecost, that we know about anyway, that's, that, that Luke writes about. And this mission success is summarized in this way, that the number of those that believed um, uh, rose to about 5,000 just because of that one mission campaign. Wow, that would be uh, an evangelist's dream, wouldn't it? To have that kind of a result. So then not only was there opposition, there was also success. And commensurate with all of those, all, the, the, both things that are happening, mission boldness, boldness to go and carry out the mission to take, to take our responsibilities, our role in this mission with boldness. And this is where we, we have our title for today's uh, sermon, Holy Boldness. Now we're ready to read portions of this chapter. Open your Bibles once again and read quietly with me. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, the updated edition and here 's what it says while Peter and John were speaking to the people, remember this is just this is happening right after the uh, uh, the events of, uh, of chapter three. so this is not days after it was actually moments after the the healing of this man, uh, born lame. the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came to them, I want, I want to alert you to the Sadducees because the Sadducees were the um, were the uh, conservatives of the of the day. Um um actually no, um uh, while Depending on where you uh, you know how you look at it, they were the ones that you know that that were the the high uh, the, the high society of the day, part of the high society of the day. Um, they were middle to rich, the middle class, to the rich actually, the rich class of uh, of the day, and which included as well the 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 high priestly caste and and the priests as well. So the Sadducees, there was something that you know something that we need to bring out with the Sadducees is that they were they did not believe. In the resurrection, unlike the Pharisees who did believe in the resurrection. So you can see already that there was a a problem is brewing here because of the nature of what was being preached in the name of Jesus Christ as a result of the healing. Let's continue on. Much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is the resurrection of the dead. So they, so they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. but many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about five thousand it 's not clear whether this is five thousand on top of three thousand that uh, we, you know, the, that we, we learned about in, in Acts chapter two. Um, uh, it could be, or maybe perhaps it 's saying that the church grew from three thousand to 5,000. And then verse 5, it says, the next day, the rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander. All of these, by the way, were, you know, uh, switching places as high priests one year, and then another year, and so on. So you can see already that the Sadducees are, were the ones that are kind of uh, uh, um, putting pressure on, on, on the disciples here. So the next day, the uh, uh, let me see, with Anna's, uh, Caiaphas, John Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family, when they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, "By what, what by what power or by what name did you do this?" Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, "Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being." It has become the cornerstone. That is a direct quote from Psalm 118. By the way, Psalm 118 is one of the uh, Psalms of Ascents. One of the Psalms that the pilgrims of old used to sing as they made their pilgrimage from wherever they were living all the way up uh, as they were climbing up uh, the Mount, uh, the Temple Mount. This is it's one of the things that they that they um, they were singing. Alerting us, alerting us, that the, the disciples were fully aware of what they were saying and 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 the full meaning. And I'm going to about to, to, to expound on this in in a few minutes about the meaning of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men. They were amazed and and recognized them. As companions of Jesus, when they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So they ordered them to leave the council while they discussed the matter with one another. They said, what will we do with them? For it is obvious to all who live in Jerusalem that know that, that a notable sign had been done through them. We cannot deny it. But to keep it from spreading further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right to God's, in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them again, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all of them praised, praised God, for He, for what He had, ha- for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing had been performed was more than forty years old. Was more than forty years old. I want to ask a question here today: What made those early disciples so bold? We're not going to read the rest of the chapter, but you will see following the, uh, the, verse, the last verse that was just read, that the first thing that the disciples would do uh, after, um, after they, were, they were released is that they would gather together and, and pray for more, uh, for more boldness rather than relief from having to face opposition. What, makes, what made them so bold and what can make us bold in the way we go about doing our role towards the mission to preach the gospel, spread the gospel to everyone before the end of the world comes. Let me just give you four quick uh, quick reasons here as our time is very limited today. Four things. Number one is they had clear conviction. Number two, they had deep connectedness. And number three, they had a panoramic perspective. And number four, they had a no-holds-barred attitude. A clear conviction, deep connectedness, a panoramic perspective, and no-holds-barred attitude. Uh, let me talk to, uh, quickly about the first one, clear conviction. You will notice a couple of things here about uh, uh, their conviction. They had a clear conviction about, about their mission and what, what it is that they're doing. And, uh, and, and, and I can describe that to you in, 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 two, in two words. The first focus is, is this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus Christ is alive, and the fact that they don't only know that he's alive, they saw him alive. They touched him. They, they, they heard him. In other words, and what's even more important is, is that they saw him dead before that. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to them, was not just a one-off event. Unusual at that. Something worth noting. Something worth talking about. No. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is much more than a a one-off event. Unusual. Worthy. of Historical. as As well as historic. Because it's never been seen before, perhaps. At least not by them. Or by anyone. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to them and to us represents much more than that what does it represent the resurrection of jesus christ represents a signal of the arrival of new creation and that was you know the part of a big part of their conviction and, and so so that when jesus christ when they saw jesus christ alive after he, he was dead for 3 days They remembered all the things that Jesus Christ had said prior. In Jesus Christ, verse 2 of chapter 4, uh, once again it says, In Jesus there is the resurrection of the dead. So, you know, the the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ signals the arrival of new creation. It's the harbinger of new creation. That is to say, Jesus Christ is the firstborn, another text tells us in 1 Corinthians, uh, is the firstborn from the dead not only because we would follow suit in the future, but because we follow suit now. That is in the future, at the end of time, when Jesus Christ comes. So this is where um, the, the concept of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it was so powerful in the time of Jesus, uh, of the, the early disciples, and can still be powerful today, and is powerful today, because of what it means. Once again, it means... The ushering in of a new era, the final era of the history of time, of the history of this world, the final era of God's salvation history, where God re-injects his kingdom back into this world, and Jesus Christ uh, being raised from the dead, is the sure assurance not only of its presence now but it's complete presence when he, re, when he returns the second time. In Scripture, there's always been, and there is, uh, a mentioning of two resurrections. One is a resurrection at the end of time, but uh, there's another uh, resurrection which is actually uh, uh, probably, to, to me anyway, more consequential to us today because it speaks about how we live our lives today. And how new creation can be demonstrated to actually exist. And not only that it, 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 it does exist, but that it is actually, it's something that actually does work for the transformation of everything around us. If, we go, if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, for example, we're not going to take the time to read much of, of, that, of that chapter. But that is a great chapter uh, that, you know, that uh, reminds us of the resurrection in the end time. Um, where Paul reminds us that flesh and blood, as we know it today, you know, and, and, uh, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor anything perishable can inherit the, the, you know, the, the kingdom of God. And so he says there is a mystery, and that we will not all die, we will all be changed in a moment. You, you remember that, uh, that, that verse, right? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, he's talking about the resurrection at the very end of time. At the very end of time. And normally, that's where we would focus our attention. And we say, and there's nothing wrong with that. And it is completely correct to focus on the resurrection of, you know, at the very end of time. Thinking that, you know, we may die first a physical death before we see Jesus Christ. Who knows when Jesus Christ will come, right? We as Adventists, we think, we say, that he's coming very, very soon. Our pioneers thought that, and they were right. But we just simply do not know exactly when he will come. And so there is that very real possibility that all of us that are here today will die physically before Jesus Christ returns. And our hope is that when he does return, and we've been dead for quite some time, that our hope, and our sure hope is that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the Father, so will we. But that is only half of the truth about what, the, 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 what Scripture and what the, the New, New Testament believers and what we all believe to be true. That is that there is a second, there's, there's a prior resurrection that happens to all of us. It's a resurrection that happens when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. Which is symbolized by our baptism when we get dunked underwater, and as we're pulled up out of that water, there's a certain kind of death that happens when we're dunked in the water, and there's a certain kind of resurrection that happens when we are pulled up out of that water. And both of those things are very real. This resurrection, I talk about, is, um, is, is Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 6. That, there's, that, that, that new creation is real now. That resurrection is happening everywhere now. And this, these resurrections are as, as a result of Jesus Christ leading the way. Telling everyone that cares, everyone that wants to, That there is a new way of living. There is a new way of doing things in the world. Because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Let's take a look at what it says there quickly in Romans chapter 6. What then shall we say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may increase? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know? That all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Notice notice Paul's um, uh, logic here now. We die with Jesus Christ. There's a certain death that, that, that happens to us when we believe in Jesus Christ. When we get baptized. He says, therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. So that... Just as you were buried, now you're going to come up out of that watery grave alive. Listen to what it says next. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. And verse 5 For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So, what does that mean, though? In our lives. Today. What it means. is, what, is, is talk, uh, Paul talks about it in verse 12. And, 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 and beyond. He says. Therefore. This is the result of new creation. Of, of uh, the resurrection that happens. When we give our lives to Jesus Christ. Therefore do not let rain, sin reign. In your mortal bodies. So that you obey their desires. No longer present your members to sin. As instruments of unrighteousness. But, pre- but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. That is what resurrection means today. It means, and it means more than that. What do you think we do, all those people that volunteer at ACS every week do, is to let everybody know that there is new creation and that we're pushing back on the structures of the world that have held people down and out and, ma- and, 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 uh, and, and help people make, make it again in this world, in their lives. What do you think happens over there at the Ark? Every week we're showing the evidence of new creation as every single volunteer does his or her work over there. That is evidence of new creation and, and the New Testament Christians and we today believe in that as well. That was part of the great mission and it still is the part of, part of a great mission that informed their boldness when Jesus Christ challenged them and said to them, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the world. What about their deep connectedness? Well, <clears throat> this is sort of um, self-explanatory. One of the things that you know we notice, perhaps the main thing that we notice about Christians in, in, the, in, in, in the Christians in Acts is that they were very sticky. They're always together. They're always doing things together. Um, and, and, and so, and for good reasons, right? And, and for mutual support. Notice what happens in Acts chapter 4, just after uh, Peter and John were released, verse 23. After they were released, they went to their own people and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. That's the first thing they did. Connectedness. They were so connected with each other that they found strength. Through that connection, they also had a panoramic perspective. I was, I was, uh, I was, you know, visiting with uh, uh, Karen Ann uh, this week, and after I found out from uh, from Pam that uh, her husband had been, had been diagnosed with uh, lung cancer, and she, t- she and she told me I called her and. uh, to to empathize with her and and tell her how much we love her and thinking about her and a a couple of other things. And uh, um, she said that uh, the cancer had metastasized. But you wouldn't know that from the way she sees life. She's so buoyant. She's so hopeful as if, you know, she always looks at life as, you know, the cup being always half full or almost full or getting fuller. And that's just, and she, and she described to me all the things that she, went, that, that she went through in life and how she had had a really uh, a hard life. And so I asked her the question, uh, K- uh, Karen Ann, what makes you so optimistic? Why are you so optimistic? And, and the word, I cannot forget the words that she, she said to me. She said to me, well, because in the larger scheme of things, God is on the throne. What can go wrong? What can essentially go wrong with me in my life? And that panoramic perspective is clearly in view here in Acts chapter 4. Even as the disciples... Uh, uh, knew that Jesus Christ was handed to be killed and all of that and, and because of, uh, of, of people's uh, wickedness and um, they still managed to find reasons in scripture uh, and, 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 and assert the fact that the wickedness of, hu- of human beings are no match to the sovereignty of God. And that at the end of the day God puts a silver lining on everything in life. Through Jesus Christ. A panoramic perspective. A few weeks ago when um, we all, most of us or a lot of us went to uh, our yearly uh, church uh, ret- uh, campout out. Uh, on Thursday uh, of that you know, weekend, th- that Thursday, I, I decided to go up and, and hike all the way up to Mount Talak. Um, I was there several years ago uh, with uh, several others, um, but I haven't been there for quite some time. And I remember the last time I went there, uh, uh, how how panoramic the view is and how, you know, if you stood at the highest, uh, just on the highest rock right there at the peak of of Mount Talak, you can literally, you know, go 360 degrees and you will see... The entire view of the desolation wilderness, as well as Lake Tahoe. And if you're bold enough to stand there long, long enough for, you know, for for the wind not to blow you over, then you can just bask yourself in that panoramic view and how beautiful it is. I took some pictures and some videos and sent it to some of my friends and I said, my church folk are somewhere down there, right down there proud of the fact that I made it up there, even if it took me almost all day. And that panoramic view is beautiful, isn't it? And we, of all Christians, have been gifted with that panoramic view. We call it the great controversy. We know how it's going to end. We know that God is on on his throne. And all will be well, even if Life is hard today, or a lot of days. And then, of course, the last one is their no hold ba- holds barred attitude. Um, can you imagine? Can you imagine a you know um, a church community where? You know, they're so connected with each other and that their attitude is such that, you know, whatever, whatever needs to be done, uh, whatever needs to get done, uh, you know, we'll, we'll throw our full weight into it. That's what they had. Verse 32 and onwards to the end of the chapter gives us a glimpse of what this actually meant to them and what this can actually mean to us today. Verse 32 Now, the whole group of those who who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. You can imagine that attitude and that mindset, how powerful that was, when, when you have an entire church, an entire community, who was one with the mission and will do whatever it takes to push the mission forward. Because when they prayed, and prayed they did, a lot. Here's what happens in verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. If you remember from Acts chapter 2, that there were basically two ways in which the Holy Spirit manifests His presence First, he indwells believers. He indwells us. He goes within our bodies. And then the second one is he fills the place where we are. And that's basically what happens here. That's repeated. What what happened at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was repeated in Acts chapter 4. And guess what? It it, it will keep repeating itself. In other words, the Holy Spirit is telling us that what happened at Pentecost was not a one-off event either. When we take our mission seriously, with boldness as the disciples did, that that the Holy Spirit will be present in us and will be present among us. To multiply our efforts for the kingdom. However hard it might be. Because sometimes when you're volunteering and you see that there aren't enough people volunteering, you feel discouraged and say, how in the world could the mission proceed? Well, I can tell you how. Through the Holy Spirit. Who makes everything impossible, possible. No holds barred attitude. These are universal principles applicable today. The Spirit's repeated Pentecost experience time and again, and he will, and he can, and will repeat all these things as we imbibe the disciples' clear conviction, deep connectedness, panoramic perspective, and no holds barred attitude. He will do it and he is doing it in our midst. Let us pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ. That in him we do have the assurance of salvation now and forever. Give us the boldness, O God, the boldness to be your witnesses to be like the disciples of old. For the promise of your Spirit is available to us as it was to them in equal measures. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.